Welcome to Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community. Hey everyone, I'm your host, Robbie Straczynski, and thanks so much for joining us on episode number 18 of Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town. On this episode, we have the pleasure of welcoming Bernard Lee, a longtime veteran of the poker media core. He's been hosting the Bernard Lee Poker Show for over 13 and a half years. He's also written regular poker columns for mainstream publications such as the Boston Herald, ESPN.com, and most recently, Metro West Daily News. Bernard also has published a pair of poker books entitled The Final Table, Parts 1 and 2. And of course, he's done plenty of damage at the felt with almost $2.4 million in career tournament earnings, which include two WSOP circuit rings and a memorable deep run to finish 13th in the 2005 WSOP main event. Today, we'll be discussing Bernard's career in poker and life away from the table, getting to know him a little bit better beyond the felt and much more over the next hour. So Bernard, welcome to Cards Chat. I'm really happy to be seeing and speaking to you again. Well, thank you, boy. You have to take a deep breath uh, now. Now I feel, now I know what it feels like when I do that same thing to right. uh, my guests for the last thirteen years. They're always like, "Wow, that's a nice intro," and I have to be like, "Wow, that's a nice intro." So I get it. <laughs> so thanks, I appreciate that little intro. You got it. Well, you've done a lot, uh, that's for sure. And uh, you know, I, I know plenty about you, and you know, you've been around forever, but. You know, there's never too much you can get to know about a person. And when I was preparing my questions today, I got to say, I was like, you know, I know a lot about him, but I don't know this. I don't know that. So I think it's time <laughs> to get yeah, to yeah. know you a little bit more. Um, yeah. I know you've been based in Wayland, Massachusetts. That's near Boston right. for many years. But you were born in New York, New York City, I guess. That's right. right? Okay. Uh, it was a suburb, so it's about okay. uh, thirty minutes north of New York City. But I went to high school in the in the city, uh-huh. uh, and then also um, I was something that some people really don't know about. I don't want to talk that ton about it. Just uh, as I went to pre college Juilliard in the city as well as oh, I wow. majored in piano uh, f- uh, during that time. Wow, that's amazing. So, so what was yeah. the impetus for your move to Boston? When did that happen? So I came up here for college. Um, I attended Harvard University. Uh, we, for the undergrad, they call it Harvard College. So I went here, um, graduated in 92, got my master's here also in 94, met my wife in 94, and have been married for almost 25 years now. So we, she, she was at Harvard as well, and we kind of never left. She went to medical school up here. I went to business school up here. We right. found jobs and kind of settled in. And my kids are about to graduate high school. So it's crazy <laughs> how long we've been up here. Yeah. Amazing. Well, when you when you went through university and you said also you went to business school, did you sort of have like a, a thought, I want to go into business and I use my MBA for that? Was that your original idea? Yeah, I mean, that's what I did. Um, the original, I mean, if you go way backward in time, the original was I thought I was going to be a doctor, in all honesty. Oh, um, wow. I was a uh, biology major, um, focused a lot on anatomy. So I really thought I love kids, um, as a lot of my charity work has focused on that. So I really thought I was going to be a pediatric surgeon. That's really kind of the path that I was going down for right. many years. 
And it just switched. A um, lot of reasons why at the time the medical profession was changing. And um, ironically, I was kind of discouraged by a lot of doctors not to go into the medical field and wow. spoke with a lot of advisors at school um, while I was doing my master's program. And a lot of them said, you know, you're very analytical. You've always loved math. Um, you love the strategy side of it. Um, and you're creative. Uh, I think you'd be really good at business, maybe like marketing. And I have to honestly say, I did not know what they were talking about. <laughs> By the way, this wasn't just one person that told me. Actually, a couple of people told me. I had a, a business uh, advisor. I had a law advisor who who recommended that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I, I didn't know what they were talking about. And so they said, well, maybe you should look into like a pharmaceutical or a biotech company. And I said, listen, I already did my thesis. I don't want right. to do like lab work and all that. And they said, no, 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 no. We're talking about on the business side. And they described it and I thought about it and I go, well, that'd be interesting. And Cambridge and Massachusetts is really kind of a mecca of for biotech uh, up here. And so I applied to dozens of places with zero um, background. You know, all it was was I have a couple degrees from Harvard in biology. Uh, I like math, you know, that right. kind of thing. Right. You're interested in giving me a shot at like, you know, a marketing associate position. And I got a few bites um, ended up taking a job at one of them, did it for about two years. And then now the next stage in your career, you either move to a big company right, and, you know, really kind of get your feet wet or you go to business school and, and really learn the ropes. And, you know, I guess for better or worse, being somewhat of an overachiever, I said, well, I'm doing both. So I right. decided to go to business school, but I got my internship at a fortune 500 company, um, and, um, you know, it worked out great and I ended up staying with that company. It was a medical device company, which many people might not know what that is, but, you know, like, like, uh, like a pacemaker and, you know, um, dialysis catheters, all those kind of things are sure. made by a medical device company. And you, and you really do need to know a lot more anatomy than if you were in a, like a pharmaceutical company, that might be more of like the chemistry side. And I was a biology major. And, and so, you know, I have funny stories of going into the ORs uh, with the sales reps talking about my products and all that. And the funny story where long story short is the doctor needed to, he, he had his gown on and you're supposed to, there's a tab in the back that you're supposed to hold. That's the only place that won't be sterile because you're holding the tab. And then the doctor spins around and then you do it. And I was told beforehand, do not touch anything. Right? <laughs> uh, the, the sales reps are really territorial about their place. They don't want to hurt the relationship with doctors. Some doctors are like, get them out of here, you know, that kind of stuff. I had been in a lot of ORs in my lifetime because I was pre- tre- prepping up to be a pediatric surgeon. I had been in ORs, I actually, you know, was there doing stuff that maybe you're not even supposed to do, you know, like I was there helping uh, and watching and I've been like literally looking at it. Um, I've been in some autopsies, stuff like that. Anyway, this doctor was like, I need somebody to grab this. And the nurses weren't there and no one was there. And so I just kind of took two steps and grabbed it. Right. Because I knew what I was doing because I'd seen it done before. And he spun around and, and the rep comes flying over like, don't touch him. And I said, and the doctor was like, no, he's fine. He did right. exactly what he was supposed to do. And, and they, were, they were like, how'd you know that? I go, I, to be honest, I've done it before. You know, right. like I've seen it done before. <laughs> so, you know, I get, I, I didn't just do it to do it. The doctor was like, come on, somebody needs to help me. That kind of thing. So I was like, right. 
So, so that's a weird world that I did. So I was in that right. industry for over a decade, oh, you know, goodness. working in the real world. So, right. you know, what I did or what I did in 2005, I was 35 years old. Right. Um, and oh, so you had a backstory in a sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, sure. I, I had been working for a long time and I was moving up the ranks and, you know, uh, director level kind of for uh, marketing and new business development mm-hmm. at a big company. And, you know, a lot of people thought I was absolutely crazy. What are you doing? Like you've been working toward this goal to move up and sure. et cetera, et cetera. And now you're going to give it all up to play a game. Right. Right. You know, so this isn't just the, this isn't just the public. This is like my family telling me this too. Right. <laughs> oh my goodness. You know, I mean, I not only do I have a bachelor's and master's, but I have an MBA, like everything's right. leading up to all this. And, um, you know, it just didn't make sense. Why would you do this? But obviously it's, it's been a passion and 15 years later, I'm still doing it. All right. Thankfully it's, it's certainly worked out. Poker, I guess, stole you away. Yeah. You chose the, the yeah, path that a lot of people wouldn't take you. You went ahead and took it. Um, before right. we get into the, the career, you know, that you've done in poker for all these years itself, when were you first introduced to poker? It didn't just sort of come out of the sky. I mean, for, no. for a while back, right? Yeah, I've been playing poker, or at least was introduced to poker when I was very young. Um, Mm -hmm. My father and his brothers, um, and then also their friends would get together during the holidays and play. So Thanksgiving time, Christmas time, we would eat our meal, kids go upstairs, not to be sexist, but the the wives and the mothers went into one room and, and chatted. The men went into the other room and and played poker. Thankfully, they weren't stogie people, so I I mean, that, that was never an issue. Good, um, there was definitely some drinking involved, but it wasn't like slosh drinking, you know, here, have a whiskey while we're playing or a beer or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so anyway, they would play. And, you know, one of the things that you would hear is they would argue about hands. Well, how could you make that call? You had two pair, blah, blah, blah. You know, and at the time you're nine, 10 years old, you're like, I have no idea what they're saying. Right. But boy, does that sound cool to argue. Like in, <laughs> in the sense of like, you know, and argue is probably the wrong word. It's just a banter back and sure. forth, right? Oh, you, you're an idiot. Well, how could you make that play? Oh, stupid. You know that. And you just thought that was really neat, you know? And so I would sit literally at the top of the stairs and just listen. And I kind of like, come down to midway step and just kind of peek over the railing and watch them and go like, Oh, I don't want them to see me and tell me to go back upstairs, you know, that right. kind of stuff. So, uh, you know, I asked my dad, like, could you teach me how to play? And I still remember we were playing with, when he taught me, he was playing with wild cards uh-huh. and I had three, I don't remember what it was, but I had three of a kind and I had like an ACE and a pair, a, a wild card. And so I said, okay. oh, I have a full house. Right. And he's like, no, you don't. Dummy, you have four of a kind. The wild card goes with it, you know, that kind of thing. Sure. And I still remember that because I was like, oh, that's uh, you can't make that mistake when you're playing that kind of stuff. Of course, we don't use wild cards. But but I had played in high school. Mm hmm. Hope none of the teachers and you know administrators from my high school are watching this. But like you know, I played in high school, played a regular game in college, Mm -hmm. and. in 92, Foxwoods mm-hmm. here in Connecticut opened up, and um, it was the first year that that it, it was open. If you think about it, Foxwoods now has like 6 million, 7 million people. So their cards literally say the number that they registered. Right. My numbers in is like just over 100,000. Wow. That's so you really could early. imagine like I was really – and, and you know, like 10,000 people probably early on are just employees, right? So we went <laughs> in like May – 
of when they opened up, they opened up in like February or March. And so mm-hmm. my buddy and I, who, who he was the guy who kind of hosted the game. We would play two or three times a week in college. He said, he goes, Hey, listen, they opened up a casino in Connecticut. You want to go? Yeah, sure. So we rented a car because under 25, you had to, you couldn't rent cars from like, you know, the major brands. So we sure. rented this car in a local place that was called Rent-A-Rec. Oh, I right. love it. <laughs> and and it was like I still remember it was like twenty five to thirty dollars uh-huh. to rent the car and have gas and I think there was some extra insurance because we were under twenty five, and we would go down during the summer and we'd probably go down like once a week and I went and I played seven card stud, and I read Doyle Brunson's section in Super System by Chip Reese uh-huh. who wasn't. Who was an Ivy grad from Dartmouth, or Ivy went to Dartmouth for Ivies, uh, and read wrote the section. I have it. I I photocopied it. I highlighted it with yellow, then green, then blue. I mean, like I really got that section. I really focused on it. Play five, ten, ten, twenty usually. Mm-hmm. And he would go down and play this game, which I really didn't understand. He would explain it to me every single time. And they, you know, stud. You have all the your cards yourself. This one had like a lot of these community cards, and I didn't really get it. And I asked him, and he goes, "Yeah, it's called Texas." Hold them. Mm-hmm. That was Texas Hold them. Mm-hmm. And he would literally describe it as we were going down. I'd watch it and I go, This is this is ridiculous. Why would you wow. ever play this game? Like you you all share the same cards. How how is this different? You know, so that was my first introduction to hold them. Um, but I would play stud. That's really that was the kind of the game that, that I would play. I really played it hard. And um uh we would go down, like I said, it was like kind of like a summer job mm-hmm. for a while. Um, right. And back then. I mean, God, it was taking candy from babies. I mean, people didn't know how to play. Mm-hmm. Even though stud was the game of choice on the East Coast, sure, people still didn't, you know, people were still taking their chances. And, you know, I wasn't playing huge 75, 150. I was playing 5, 10, 10, 20. And so going home with a couple hundred bucks, especially when you're just out of college, I mean, it's huge. That's a I big mean, win. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it was, I still remember one time we were there and we got there. And we'd usually be there, get there around like, 11 10 11 o'clock and then we would leave around seven or eight i remember we got there and i just went on a run mm-hmm. and i probably made like i don't know five six hundred bucks instantly like just one man monster hands and all this stuff and i remember going over to him and looking over him and he, and he was up that much too oh, wow and and it was like wow what a coincidence that both of us are up this much and i said to him i said hey you don't want to, you want to not press our lucky. You want to go home. And he, and he went, yeah, let's do it. And so we both packed up. We both went home with five, 600 bucks Amazing. in our pockets. We only ah. stayed down there for maybe two, three hours. We drove probably longer than we were there. <laughs> um, I remember taking my college room, my, my buddy who I, was one of my college roommates. We were living together after we graduated and another guy was in town. So I took him out to dinner on me, you know, that nice. kind of thing. Big, That's a good big feeling. Spender. For sure. Um, yeah, and so that that's kind of how you got introduced to poker. And, um, you know, this is in the 90s. And then I didn't really play that much, in all honesty. I really, huh. really didn't play that much. I, I, um, If I went to a casino, ironically, I played probably some table games. Uh, I, I really, I got into craps, which is a bad habit to get Ooh. into. But yeah. I love the numbers. You know, yeah. I really love numbers and that kind of thing. So I didn't really... I wasn't like addicted to, to, to table games, but I loved learning the numbers and learning the odds and all that kind of stuff. Right. And 
you know, if I went, I'd play there for like an hour, maybe a couple hours or something like that. Mm-hmm. Didn't really get into blackjack that much. I, I got the card counting side of it and all that, but never really got into it so much that I had to do it. And then um, in 99, when I was graduating business school, my the, the town that I now live in, Wayland, I, we had a bunch of buddies who started a game. So right. They called me and said, hey, are you interested in starting this game? And I said, yeah, I'm in business school right now, but I pretty much am done in like March, April. So once once I'm done, I'll, I can join the game. Okay. And they had only been playing for like a week or so. It wasn't a big deal. I, I literally play that game still to this day, 21 years later. I love um, it. And we are playing it, you know, on, even during the pandemic, you know, yep. we play, we try to do a version online and all that kind of stuff. So that's how I kind of got back into it. Right. Um, that's a limit, basically a limit dealer's choice horse game kind of thing with like deuce to seven and things like that mm-hmm. involved. And then when Moneymaker did what he did, I jumped on the tournament bandwagon, not uh-huh. the poker bandwagon. Uh-huh. Right. But I will tell you that it really wasn't Moneymaker for me. It was actually the year before with Varconi right. and Julian Gardner. And that was in 202 for people who don't know Queen 10. Look it up. You'll know what I'm saying. Phil Helmuth almost got his head shaved, you know, head shaved because of it and all that stuff. And the person that really changed it for me is a gentleman who is, I believe, a lawyer uh, from Maryland named Russell Rosenblum. And I think he finished sixth that year. Mm -hmm. And he was playing, he got knocked out. And then it came over to the commentarying side with, I think it was Gabe Kaplan. And they were talking about it and saying this and that. And so he was talking about a hand. And they said, you know, I think they have something like Queen Jack and da-da-da. And that's why he's betting it this way and that way, whatever. And, and in my mind, I'm like, how in the world can you know that they have Queen Jack? I mean, this is before whole cams, remember, right? So right. you really didn't know. Sure. So he's completely guessing. Right. And in my head, I was like, that's ridiculous for you to say specifically Queen Jack. Right. They play the whole hand out. He flips over his hand. Wouldn't you know it? I mean, the guy really flips over Queen Jack. Mm. And I, I still remember it in my mind being like, wow, this guy just literally predicted the hand. Right. And I just said, you think you know a lot about poker. You don't know anything about poker. Mm-hmm. If you, if, if like, to me, it was like, this is impossible to predict this. Right. So that really got me going to start really trying to learn the game. Then, mm-hmm. then Moneymaker did what he did. And then I got really inspired to play in tournaments, um, tried to qualify for 2004. Mm-hmm. And I didn't, I mean, I'm, I'm being honest. Like I tried like crazy. I, I went on stars. I tried to play in all the tournaments, et cetera. And I didn't qualify. And it was probably like February, March timeframe. And at that point, it was just going to be too late. Like I, right. I, I would have had to have committed because I was working that, sure. oh, I got to take this week off. So I really at that moment said, OK, I'm going to now devote the next year to playing and learning this game. And so I literally would read a book every night. My wife jokingly said I should have a Ph.D. by now um, <laughs> because I read so many books uh-huh. in the world of poker. And then um, wouldn't you know it one night. I did it. Like I, I came home from ironically tennis practice, 11 o'clock. It was a free roll. Uh-huh. And I said, well, it's just practice for Sunday. Cause that's the real one. And next thing you know, I'm at the final table and, and I get my seat. 
um, uh, to, to, to just wrap up with regards to Russell is mm-hmm. that a couple years later in 2006, wouldn't you know it? I'm at the final table of the Foxwoods 5K at the World Poker Finals. And who should be there but Russell? <laughs> and so I pulled him aside and I told him the story. And he was like, wow, that's uh, really cool. And, and since then, we've actually known each other. I bumped in. He knows who I am. I bumped into him. And, you know, literally it was because of what he said that I really got involved in poker. And, you know, how funny is, is that uh, his commentary in a booth and I've right. obviously done commentary and all this stuff. So <laughs> that's kind of how the whole scenario happened. And, you know, next thing you know, I'm off to play in the world series of poker main right. event and, and it almost didn't happen um, right as well so right so like yeah i know of course you burst onto the scene you know, in 2005 it was a a very favorable time uh one can right. say you know right. right in the middle of the poker boom uh you had your Absolutely. 13th place finish and a big run that you know when i look back at your hand in mob and it's actually surprised me though because i know you've been playing poker before that's your very yeah. first cash that's recorded and like yeah. you know, just to go ahead and play in a 10k is a pretty big deal. So like yeah. how many tournaments did you play beforehand or you just didn't cash or like I, I don't get it. Like, it didn't make sense. Yeah, it's a good it's a good question. So I had not been playing in a ton of tournaments, but it's actually not my first cash. I actually had a cash before, but for whatever reason, it didn't register. Uh-huh. And the irony is, guess what? It was the first World Series circuit event ever. Oh, it was in Atlantic City. <laughs> and I'm telling you, it was. It was in Atlantic City. Uh-huh. Um, I flew in that morning. I got there around 10, 1030, and it had already sold out. Wow. So we had a line. I was, I think, alternate like 2021. And okay. they didn't have extra seats, et cetera. When we got onto our table, Everyone played. We, we, it's not like today where you slide into an extra slot. We all got sat down at the same table. Oh my goodness! Wow. All of us had the same number of chips, huh. and we were like, I think we were maybe 12, 15 blinds. I mean, you have to remember we start with like a thousand chips. It was yeah. what you bought in for is what you started with. Right. That's what it was like. And back um, day, right? yeah, it was crazy. And I got and I, I don't remember exactly the scenarios, but I literally. Um, uh, I, I think I doubled or tripled up like, you know, one of those hands where you mm-hmm. just knock out two people. And now I jumped. I remember, I think I finished like 22nd or something like that. Crazy. Uh-huh. That I remember the numbers, but like, I remember it was, I think I had Kings and he had tens. It was a big hand. Mm-hmm. And so he, they, I was dealt. Right. And so one of the cards got flipped up. Uh-huh. And so I got dealt another card and I got dealt Kings. Obviously there I wouldn't go. have gotten Kings if it didn't get flipped up. Right. Right. We get it all in. I flip over kings. I think he flips over tens. Oh, my goodness. And then he spikes a 10. And I was like, this is the most unfair thing I've ever seen in my life. I would never have been involved in this hand. Right. Right? Like, Because the card that flipped over was just an insignificant card. I would have had like king four. Would never have been involved in this hand. Why am I involved in this hand? This is Mm. not fair. Mm. And I'm about to get knocked out. But I think it was on the river. Boom, a king hit. And so I doubled up. Right. And so like then I went on. So that specific tournament, for whatever reason, they only registered the final table. And so anyone who finished after that did not get a cash. Gotcha. And 
I do, I do have a cash. Like that was my first, okay. that was really my first cash in a tournament. I think I cashed in some like, you know, local Foxwoods events or something right. like or that. Or dailies, right. Or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever it was back then. I mean, today they register all those, but back right. then. We got to talk to the hand in mob. We'll get that, uh, get that yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. It's funny. Um, and I can even figure out exactly how much it is, I'm sure. But <laughs> the, the funny thing is, is that I, well, I had played in a main event prior to that i played really? in yeah the foxwoods world poker final so okay i qualified for it um and i remember playing in it was really you know i got to day two um and i lost a flip it was eights versus ace king and i got knocked out mm-hmm. um and so it wasn't my first experience ever playing in a tournament per se. I had been preparing for it. Um, I actually worked a little bit with uh, worked a little bit with people and and really kind of got to get the game. So I mean, for for that time, I had worked very hard to right. be to be ready for that moment. And, right. And um, so I wasn't going in and just being like, you know, uh, yeah, that seems like the right play to do. I'm all in. You know, that kind of right. thing. I really like done my studying as much as. You could at that time. Remember, there's nothing online. Of course. I read literally every book, which was probably only like 20 or 25, but mm-hmm. I read them all. You know, like you sure. a Skolansky or a McAvoy book. I read uh-huh. them. Right. <laughs> um, you know, and so I was ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, like I said, I had been playing a good amount. And, um, but yeah, it was obviously on, on Hand and Mob, it was the first time that I technically cashed, but it really wasn't. All right. Well, it is, like I said, you know, it's, prime time to have made a yeah. splash in the poker 100%. world a high profile finish the you know the marquee event in the world right. and that you know like the right time right place at the right time that's what opened i think a lot of opportunities for you to jump into doing poker media yeah is like at what point did you sort of make that switch and said okay i'm going to go for this and do it or, or yeah. you know this is the dream like or, or like you said, you had your family telling you, what are you crazy? So what what exactly happened there? Yeah, so so to, to take one step and, and to reiterate and kind of jump on what you were saying is that mm-hmm. why it was such a good time. Like, so Steve Daneman, who finished second to Joe Hashim, yep. and ironically, I interviewed Joe Hashim for his 15th anniversary of his uh, win on my radio show. Mm-hmm. So Steve and I have bumped into each other over the years. We've had meals together and we always say to each other, you know how lucky we are that we did it in 2005. That was the, re- and for people, you got to go back. I mean, now it's like, you'll never remember, but go backwards in time. When 2003, when Chris Moneymaker did what he did, it was being recorded on TV for ESPN, but it was not live. Right. So he wins. And I think it was May. Yeah. <laughs> no one hears about it till October or November. <laughs> so Moneymaker's literally walking around for six months. No one knows who he is. Yep. And then boom, it's Chris Moneymaker. Okay. So yeah, you have to like that's actually kind of like unbelievable. It's, it's kind of like when I was younger and Wimbledon was on TV and they tape delayed it. Right. And you exactly. would watch it at like you know, instead of at nine in the morning breakfast at Wimbledon, it would be on at noon or one o'clock. But the sure. result was already in. But there was no like Twitter that like literally to the second. You right, know, there's no ticker you know, underneath on no, ESPN. Federer hits a forehand winner to go up six four in right. the first. Set, you know, to win the first set like that. Nothing like that. So poker was not any. You know, was not the the level that it was now. So he could rena- remain anonymous for a year. The following year, same thing. 
Raymer wins. Totally not. Greg, Greg and I have become friends, and so is Chris. And Greg tells a story where he jumped on a plane and he was wearing like poker stars, and somebody jokingly said, Oh, poker, ha ha ha. Do you know Chris Moneymaker? <laughs> and Greg's saying, literally, he goes, Yeah, I just came back from shooting a commercial with him. And the guy's like, Ha ha, that's pretty funny. And Greg's like, I really did. Yeah. <laughs> like, I literally just came back from and uh they didn't know who he was. And right, you know. So, but in 2005, it was a little different. Yes, it was taped for later. It wasn't like now live streaming, but it was the first year that A, it was at the Rio. Okay, so right. 2003, 2004 was held at uh, Binion's, a horseshoe mm-hmm. downtown. First year that it was at the Rio, because uh, at the time, Harris, now it's Caesars Entertainment, purchased the right to the WSOP uh, and the horseshoe brand, but that's beside the point, but at, at the WSOP. So, you had a lot more eyes watching this event because it was at the Rio, bigger deal, bigger press, more Las Vegas press, and Card Player was basically reporting it live on the internet, mm. which back then was still a big deal, right? right. Like, I don't think I had Wi-Fi, but I definitely didn't have Wi-Fi, and I'm not 100% sure if we had internet connection at our house. So I forget wow. how my wife, maybe we did, maybe it was through a, a wire setup, but it was like a free service through my wife's work. It wasn't right. like we purchased it, right? Different world. So yeah. Anyway, yeah. So, I mean, it was just a really weird world uh, that we did. So anyway, like like you said, I, I finished 13th. Um, I got a lot of press in the sense of I had a very good story. My wife almost died giving birth to our second child. She she actually went back into the hospital and we thought she had an infection, but it ended up being that she had a so so we knew this beforehand. She had a tumor which was benign on her ovary. Mm. They took it out, and the reason why she went back to the hospital is as a doctor, they always say the worst patients are doctors. Mm. She wasn't taking her pain meds and she just had literally like abdominal surgery. So she said, you know, everyone, my parents, her parents, her, you know, what are you doing? You're leaving your wife who has a two-year-old and a one-month-old to go play in a poker tournament. Mm-hmm. What are you, crazy? Um, my wife said, go. She, you know, she's literally sleeping next to me every single night watching me do this with the, <laughs> you know, and like write down notes and go like this. You know what I mean? Like sure, she, sure watched me my dream and she knows this isn't a whim i've really worked hard at it and she said listen go go live your dream because in her mind let him get it out of his system (laughs) you know he'll play a day or two right and he'll he'll be back back. yeah yeah i mean like i mean what i mean what what is this going to be like he's going to get close and then we're driving the airport she says if you cashed do i have to throw you like a party (laughs) <laughs> because back then the cash, the cash was ten thousand dollars, right? Yeah. Which was basically just min cash. Was basically you get your money back. But of course, because this was a satellite, I was sure. Sure. And I said, no, come on. I mean, don't get me wrong. Ten thousand dollars a lot of money, but it wasn't going to be life changing. Right. I said, and I I still remember she's driving, and I went, listen, if I get six figures, uh-huh. you could throw me a party. There okay? you go. And we went, and we both went. <laughs> That's funny. Six (laughs) figures. That's a good one. So anyway, day, you know, day one, I was at the end of it, 5,619 players. I think there was 2000 left after the 
few day ones flights. Mm-hmm. Sure. I was one hundredth out of two thousand. Like I even got calls from a couple of people being like, "Holy crap!" Yeah, man, that's the real deal. Day. Ten thousand starting chips again, people. Ten thousand. What you bought in is what you get. Today mm-hmm. it's sixty thousand. Right. I ended day one with sixty-one thousand chips. So do the math like today. If you start out with sixty thousand chips, you would end up with like three hundred and like seventy. Yeah. I mean, just unbelievable, right? Day two, another good day. I got up to a hundred thousand in chips, and we came. Now back then we played eight levels. Hour and forty minute levels, not two hour levels. Mm-hmm. Um, we went till three in the morning, um, and wow. then we came back day two, day three, with only nine people left to go. That was it, and then we broke the money. So five sixty nine, I think five hundred and sixty made the money. Mm-hmm. We broke that like an hour in. Obviously, lost stalling, and you know, just like a typical bubble. And then next thing you know, I just. Next day, maybe the next day, maybe uh-huh. the next day, maybe the next day. And, you know, I call my wife and it's always, I actually just did a uh, appearance on uh, national TV, a storyteller, uh, stories from the stage. Right. I remember that. Uh, right. WGBH. And this was the story that I told. And, you know, my wife's like, oh, just, you know, get some good sleep. Hope you, you know, you know, rest up and we'll see you home soon. Mm-hmm. Day three, make it through. Wow. I've made $25,000 or whatever it is. Day, day four. I remember calling her being like, you might want to get the party list going. Right. right. <laughs> I just made $175,000. I mean, six figures. It was That's nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It was really, it was really, really nuts. And, and Boston Herald's calling me. Boston Globe is calling me. I'm getting interviewed all over the place. And it was a feel good story that obviously my wife, almost dies giving birth to our child Mm -hmm. a while back. I end up going next thing, you know, I'm I'm this. So ESPN did two feature stories on me and of the final table, they only did two feature stories. I think on Hashem, Mm -hmm. uh, Daneman, and maybe one other player. I didn't even make the final table. So every day, everybody who meets me asks me this question. What year did you make your final table appearance at the main event? Like wow. everyone thinks I made the final table. It's like Dennis Phillips. Everyone thinks Dennis right. Phillips won the main event, right? <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, what year did you win the main event? Right. So like everyone asks. I mean, almost to this day, 90% of the people are asked like, what year did you make the final table? Right. right. <laughs> and, Unbelievable. And, you know, so, so after that, um, what happened was is that uh, a gentleman by name of Rich Corbin, who I really do thank a lot because he really asked me to do this. Mm-hmm. If he didn't ask me to do this, I don't think I have this career. If you think right. about it, he said, Hey, he working for poker stars. And I was working with Brad Willis at the time as well. Cause he was doing a lot of the media uh, stuff online, which is sounds funny. He wrote a really nice piece on me as well. And um, he said, Hey, listen, you're our last free roll person on poker stars and you have such a great story and ESP has picked it up. You mind just writing down your thoughts about what happened? You know, I think it'd be fun for the people to, to hear about them. I said, yeah, sure. No problem. He goes, yeah. So when you go home, just kind of put down your thoughts on paper and just send them. Hmm. Sure. So I start writing it. And I think what they thought was going to be like two page, like front and back double spaced. Uh Right. It ended up being, I think, 26, 27 single space pages. Oh, my God. 
And it was just wow. like this cathartic experience. Like you were just like writing this, writing that. Right? Oh right. my God, do you remember this? And oh my, oh yeah, do you remember this? And uh, oh my, oh, oh yeah, this is incredible. Do you remember this thing? Uh, oh, 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 Katie, do you remember when this happened? And oh, I remember when I met Joe Hostin for the first time. Oh, Joe sure. Norman Chad came. So it ended up being, there were a lot of stories. And, and also back then, I was actually known for writing down my hands exactly what happened. So hmm. aces versus tens. And then I would be able to do the pre-flop betting. The flop came out with the suits, what the betting was. I had my own shorthand and everything. And I had, I, I literally just found it a few months ago, like this a plastic bag of all my <laughs> tournament sheets. I did it probably wow. for the first three or four years. My goodness. And um, yeah, so, so then I could write down hands literally accurately. So people were saying like, how do you remember mm-hmm. the suits? Uh, and I was like, well, I, I do have a cheat sheet, right? Norman Chad even mentions it on one of the ESPN uh, broadcasts. So anyway, he asked me to write this. I write 26, 27 pages. Mm-hmm. It ends up being like an eight to 10 part series on Poker Stars blog. Wow. And at the time, it becomes as viral as something back then can be. Sure. People are like on all these different forums and all these different like word of mouth and email. Hey, this is a really great story. You might want to read. Hey, this is a really cool story. You might want to read this. Well, somehow I got back to two people. One, um, a guy who was wor- who was writing for ESPN was a friend of one of the guys in my home game. Okay. So he he Steve Rosenblum. So he was he was actually a writer for ESPN for more for boxing, but they asked him to do poker writing. Mm-hmm. And so he ended up doing a story on me in I forget what magazine, in all honesty. Um, and he came to our home game, played in our home game and all this stuff. And he introduced me to Andrew Feldman, who was uh-huh. the poker editor. at the Right. And Andrew read my stuff and read the stuff on Poker Stars. And he said, hey, would you be interested in writing like that for us? Right. And I, I was like, right. Are you kidding me? And I remember <laughs> me. I met him at the uh, United States Poker Championship mm-hmm. at, at Taj Mahal in in, uh, um, uh, in Lang City. And I said, um, you got to be kidding me. Like you had me at hello, dude, when you asked me to write for ESPN. I mean, right. Of course. And, uh, you know, one, one of the big ones for ESPN was I was doing a live blog uh, during a World Series circuit in Council Bluffs. So after every level, I would call in to Andrew and say, like, let me tell you what happened. He would type it into the blog and it would come up. Wow. Wouldn't you know it? I made it to like fourth that year. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So like it wasn't just let's follow him and see where he gets knocked out in like 70th. Oh, my God. He's made it to the final table and sure. they're live streaming the final table and he's calling it in. I mean, Incredible. it was really kind of one of those. Yeah, one of those things. Yeah. But then also locally, the Boston Herald, who had done a story on me. Um, a gentleman calls me up who was the editor at the time, John Stranich, and says, hey, we've been looking for a poker writer. The Boston Globe had a column at the time, and Herald and Globe are kind of like one, two. Uh, for mm-hmm. people who are in New York, it's like Times and New York Post. Uh-huh. Um, I'm not relating the levels. It's more like that's sure. how kind of what it is. And the, the Herald is known for its sports section, and they wanted to add a poker column. I'm a biology major. I don't write. And so this is really <laughs> funny that these guys are asking me to write. Right. right? Well, they've like, seen your what you did for poker stars. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And don't get me wrong, I wrote it a lot. My wife helped edit it, all this kind of stuff. So next thing you know, these guys are all asking me to write. I almost turned it down, to be honest. Mm-hmm. I really almost turned it down. But thankfully, I did I did it for like seven, eight years. I, the two books that you mentioned, they're mm-hmm. all based off of those columns. They're just so many people asked for 
previous columns, I put them all into a book and I actually wrote notes on them as well. Mm -hmm. So I sell those and those proceeds go kind of to my charity Beautiful. Uh, that, that I do. So that happened. Yeah. And then two years after that, my editor, and by the way, I'm during that time frame, I'm still working. I didn't quit my job right away. Right. <sighs> and my, and I told my wife, I really want to do this. And she goes, listen, you can't assume you're going to win $400,000 every year. Right. Of course. <laughs> you you got to have a job. The voice of reason. So, right. <laughs> right. So if you do this and you do media stuff or whatever, okay, that's one thing. So, I mean, don't give me a challenge, you know, for people who know me, that's, don't throw the gauntlet down. I'm gonna uh -huh. Pick it up and I'm going to slap you right back with it. <laughs> I didn't do that to my wife, obviously, but, but, uh, um, but uh, it took two years, but, uh, you know, I write these columns, I, you know, get some sponsorships, not huge ones at the time. Sure. And the next thing you know, my editor on the Boston uh, Herald says, you know, you really tell these great stories, whether it's in the column or just us talking. I love your stories. Why don't you do a radio show? Huh. And I said, what? talking about it. I'm not he goes, I'm telling you, if you just talk to people and just do this and kind of have conversations with your friends, I think people would be interested. And you have to remember at the time, you know, I know that their podcasts are everywhere. Yeah, of course. Right? But then? Back then, they were like nothing. Maybe right? one, two. Yeah. <laughs> if, if, right? Yeah. So I said, okay. And and by the way, they they weren't on radio necessarily. Right. And, and mine's still on here in radio in Boston. So we decided to give it a shot. Um, I, I, I linked up with somebody. Uh, the guy who was helping me out really kind of showed me the ropes. And um, next thing you know, I have a following, uh, you know, 10 to 25, sometimes as many as a hundred thousand people listen to the show every single sure. week, just because for better words, I have pretty good guests because I know all these guys. Yep. Um, my, my Joseph Hashim was my second guest ever. Amazing. He was live back then. So he called, he says it on my show. It's really kind of cool. He says, I don't wake up this early for many people. Uh -huh. I'll do it for you. <laughs> and the trivia question is who was the first person ever uh, as my guest? It's Alex Jacob. Who oh, won really? the United States Poker? Yeah, he won the United States Poker Championship pre Jeopardy. Right. <laughs> pre yeah, nice. way before. And so I actually have talked to him after his Jeopardy run and tried to get him back on the show for the 10th anniversary. We had the interview all locked up and ready to go. And then he had to cancel for whatever reason. Oh. And we kind of haven't done it since, but maybe the 15th anniversary. There you go. Which is amazingly, literally right around the corner. Sure. It's, like you said, it's almost, we're starting preparing for our 14th anniversary. Right. Um, so, you know, that's kind of how the media all started. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah. like you said, I've written for ESPN, Boston Herald. Right now I have a column in the Metro S Daily News, which is really cool in the sense of um, I, I'm, I'm one of the Share My Pair pros, which uh -huh. is an app online. Um, go download, download Share My Pair. And you literally can put down the hands, the betting, and then it simulates it. It really like goes through it. So it's like a little video of the hand. Mm -hmm. And so that's embedded into the column and the whole column is based off of that hand. And then it's just all descriptions about that column. 
Right. And so, uh, depending on what it was, like there was the, the Vanessa Selt hand that happened against Gail Bauman. We sure. wrote about that hand. We wrote about some hands that happened this summer during the World Series uh, .com, you know, online events, mm -hmm. right? And so this is like I'm giving a preview. Uh, the the column. Um, this week is on Joseph Hashem's final hand against Steve Dadman because right. it links back to my interview. So there's a lot of like, you know, cool things that happen with that. And so the Metro West Daily News is, is a, a very big uh, paper here that links up with towns all outside of Boston and including my town. So it's really kind sure. of neat that I'm writing for my home paper and they just uh, start a relationship with the USA Today. So right. who knows where if it'll keep continue to expand and all sure. that. So you know, really neat that uh, this career has kind of happened. It's amazing. And look, you, you mentioned how the show started, you know, 13 and a half years ago, almost 14 years ago. It's, right. you know, like, it was one of the only ones back then and you're still going. So I'm wondering, you know, like it's, it's rare to have anything in poker going for that long, really. What is it that keeps you going and, and motivated to keep doing the Bernard the Poker Show week after week? Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. Obviously, like it's, it's, it's you know, as you know, um, it's not it's not that easy to continue doing it and balancing it and all that stuff. But I, I a lot of people ask me, so how do you like your new career? How do you like your new job? That's mm -hmm. the way they kind of describe right. it. And I say it all the time. I don't have a job. Right. I literally feel like I'm retired because I, the way I would relate. I mean, a lot of people who are watching this obviously are into poker, right? Sure. But I talk about it like with other people that I that I discuss with, whether I'm playing golf or whether I'm just at a dinner party or whatever. I ask everyone, what's your favorite hobby? Mm. Whatever it is, golf, gardening, reading, cooking, cycling, doesn't matter. Right? Whatever your favorite hobby is, imagine being able to do that for a living. <laughs> imagine being able to write for the top publications in that field. Sure. Imagine being able to make appearances and make money off of writing a radio a podcast, a radio show, and that you enter competitions in that field and right. you can make money. Yeah. Imagine being able to do that. And they're <laughs> all like, wow, that'd be really cool. I go, that's what I do. <laughs> I mean, that's literally what I do. And so yeah. I don't consider it a job. And mm -hmm. so when, when people are like, wow, you've been doing this for 13 years for the radio show, do you consider keeping, you know, when are you going to stop? And I go, I don't know. I just always have someone else to talk to. Like there's always, I mean, it definitely has been a little challenging for COVID, right? Since COVID tournaments are far and few between, but in the real time frame of poker, literally it's almost like you have to choose like, who should I interview? Sure. Like the, the two people, one here, another person, one here. And during the week, you know, for the world series of poker, when it's actually going on during in Las Vegas, I, I have two to three people on a week. Right. Because there's, there's so many winners that are just flying by. So, yeah. I mean, I enjoy it. The game's constantly changing. Um, you know, we try to do different topics, you know, there's a lot of things to do it. Will I eventually stop? Yeah, I'm sure eventually when they all stop. Um, I don't think before 15 years, yeah. there's no way, yeah. um, you know, honestly, I, I, you know, I, I'd be hard pressed to say that I won't go to 20. I think I will, you know, I think 25 is a cool number, but, um, you know, who knows at that stage right. of the game where, where we'll be and all that stuff. But, right. um, right now I enjoy it. I, I, I like doing the radio show. I like writing the columns, mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's, it's not work per se. It's sure. fun. 
Sure. So I, I enjoy it. I, I enjoy listening to it. I've you know, got a little plug and it's on the recaps and timestamps of your show are yeah. on cardplayerlifestyle.com. Um, right. you, you did mention Andrew Feldman. I did have a question related to yeah. him. I, I remember watching, you know, it's not just audio. I remember watching you with him co-hosting the Inside Deal uh, yeah, on ESPN. Yeah, that was a great show. It was uh, sort of like, for, for those who had never heard of it or, or weren't aware, it's sort of like a sports center like show exactly. for poker exactly. during the boom yeah. days. And like, exactly. it, that sounds just fantastical in this day and age, like it actually happened. And it yeah. was really good, amazingly, you know, ESPN level production. Um, can it was you tell at us the a, ESPN studios, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I want to tell you, like, can you tell us a little bit about that experience? Uh, yeah. How long did the show run for? And do you think that such a show could ever happen again? So it was one of the best experiences I've ever done. I really, I like, I missed it literally every day. I, uh-huh. I mean, when I think about it, I really, really missed, do, missed doing it. It mm-hmm. was, it was a show that we really enjoyed. We did it on the, I think it was the college football set at ESPN mm-hmm. um, and the NASCAR set was right next to us. So we would watch those every time um, it went on. I want to say it was like 2009 to 2011 um, okay. and it was so much fun. It <laughs> really, really was. It was a great introduction to TV and, yeah. and how to like, even though it wasn't on TV, although because of it, I was on TV. I was on the WSOP broadcast a few times because we talked about stuff. Um, it was really great. We had we had a, a host, uh, we, and then often I was, and sometimes Andrew was as well, the the analyst. Uh-huh. And it kind of went through a few iterations, and you know, basically Black Friday killed it. That's really mm-hmm. what it is, right? right and so right. obviously the sponsorships start going away because there's no there's not as much advertising money involved. So that's really, you know, kind of what what hurt us. Could it happen today? Sure. I mean, I, I think it can. Um, but, you know, you, you have to fund it. Right. Uh-huh. I mean, I think that's what it is. And I think that there's different versions of it right now. But it, it was literally a sports like you said, it was a sports center show. I talk about it like, you know basically they would have a host and they would have somebody who plays poker and does the analysis. It's like, if you're doing a NFL live, right. they, you know, they have all the former players. Well, mm-hmm. I wasn't a former player at the time, but I played right And right. I would literally, there would be somebody we were talking about and I was like, well, I just played against them. Or, yeah. I, you know, it's, it's always very interesting when you talk with somebody and they go, yeah, I just spoke with da da da. Yeah. You know, like, they're talking about in baseball. Oh, I just spoke with Aaron Judge. And you're not name dropping. It's the real deal. Right. Right. <laughs> because you're literally talking about him. Like you're right. literally like, oh, we're, I wonder how the Yankees are going to do. Well, I just talked with Aaron Judge and he says <laughs> that the clubhouse attitude is really great. I mean, that's literally yeah. inside information. Mm-hmm. And when we were doing the show, I would literally call these guys and be like, so what do you think? You know what I mean? And um, back then we had really great access because we were ESPN. I, sure. I did the first interview with Joe Cata after we won. Literally wow. the first interview. Right. So uh, we just I just talked to Joe Cata on my radio show uh, after, unfortunately, Darwin Moon passed. And so we were talking about that. So Joe Cata wins. He gets sh- – this is at the Rio um, Penn and Teller Theater. He gets shuffled backstage and then upstairs in the back. Mm-hmm. We were the first ones to see him before he was brought down for other interviews. Wow. So we got him. Yeah. And I was literally the one that was talking with him. And I mean, that how cool is that? Yes. Yeah. And um, 
you know, so it was just such a great, I really, really enjoyed it. I had so much fun with it. I, I just, I wish we could keep doing it and could, could have kept doing it and, and uh, would love to do something like that again. It'd be phenomenal. It was just so much fun. Well, so it's certainly good stuff. I mean, you mentioned so many names and obviously over all of these years in the industry, you've built yeah. a, a gigantic network of relationships uh, within the industry. I know one person you're very close with, and it's written right there uh, on your lapel. It's Tana Karn. Uh, he's the yes. owner uh, the owner of Run Good Gear, uh, the Run Good Poker yep. series. Um, those who may not necessarily know about it, can you tell us sort of what is the series about? What's sort of like the flavor and what's your role with Run Good Gear? So I'm one of the kind of ambassadors for Run Good. I was from the from kind of the beginning, uh, not not right from the beginning, but near the start. I uh, was introduced to Tana uh, by one of the pros, uh, We Win, um, and uh, we were talking about it. He was explaining their concept, and I loved it. I really did. And and talk with Tana on the phone, and and he asked if I would be interested in helping promote the the Run Good um, brand. And then ultimately the poker series. Right. Um, for those people who have not come to a Run Good Poker Series event, and obviously we haven't had one in a while due to COVID, but when sure. it does eventually come back, if you haven't been, first of all, they were GPI's mid-major series of the year, back-to-back -back years. Yep. I mean, it's one thing to be named once, but to have it back-to-back -back years really just shows. There's just so much fun involved. There is, they don't take it themselves so seriously. And don't get me wrong, I play in the World Series circuit events, I play in the Heartland events, and uh, you know, WP. Don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that we don't take it seriously in that sense, <laughs> but there's a lot of fun going on, right? There's a bounty event every Tuesday night that kicks it all off, and drinks nice. are flying everywhere, and like, come on and get me, you know, that kind of I mean, there's a lot <laughs> of fun. Like, they're, we're wearing jerseys one year to represent our town, I'm wearing I the Boston that. Celtics, and it's just He's done such a great, really, give give all the credit in the world to Tana, who literally on the back of a napkin wrote down the business plan of, of a run good brand, mm -hmm. right? And by the way, I'm not, I'm honestly not even joking. Like my wife steals my sweatshirts all the time <laughs> because she's like, they're so comfy. And they are they're really, I mean, it's it's not a brand where like you literally just like, oh, whatever. Um, uh, I, I really do wear a lot of, I wear them out and about and people are always think it's like marathon stuff just because of the word run kind of, uh -huh, thing. Uh -huh. but, but uh, you know, um, he's done a phenomenal job. They do a great job. They've been doing uh, other ventures as well. And uh, I give Tana all the credit in the world for really building a brand. And that's not easy to do in this industry. Yeah. And uh, he's done it well. The poker series, like I said, seriously, if, if anyone, uh, they are primarily in the Midwest. Some There's some in, in the West Coast as well, and hopefully we'll come to the East Coast. But uh, if you haven't been to an event, you got to go to an event. It's really a lot of fun. I mean, the buy-ins are relatively low. Right. Nothing over $1,000. Usually like six seventy five is the main event. Um, and But you can win a lot of money. Yeah. I was fortunate to win the inaugural main event at Downstream. And I it was like, I don't remember the specific number, but I want to say it was like almost 50K plus a 10K main event seat. So it just isn't like, I didn't rip up that check. Let me just tell you that. Right? <laughs> I mean, like, and you no, have a great time doing it while you're playing, of course. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, and we had a lot of great guys, a lot of great ambassadors, a lot of great women as well uh, on there and some some really, really good players 
Uh, Jamie Kerstetter, someone who who everyone knows uh, from yep. the broadcast, she's she's part of the team as well. And I mean, we, I, I don't want to leave anyone out, so I'm going to stop with Jamie because once I start one, <laughs> then everyone's like, "Why did you name me?" You know, right. a lot of people, and so it's a really good group. Right. Well, Jamie was a, a former guest on a past guest on this show as well. Uh, it's always a good reminder to all of our listeners and everyone watching. Feel free. We got a bunch of episodes. Start from the beginning, work your way all the way to here. Um, yeah. I know you've told me in the past, Bernard, your favorite game, and maybe it's changed, but your favorite no. variant is nope, do seven triple. Yep, hasn't changed. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's single draw. Single, single draws. Draw. Single draw is my favorite. Oh, single, single draw, draw. Okay. the no limit version. Yeah, but I have really uh, started playing triple draw a lot. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I, I haven't made it a secret. My my dream is to win a bracelet. Um, that's sure. really what I would like to to have. And I obviously I, I became I came very close finishing yep. runner up, and they just oh, it still hurts to even say it and I'm think sorry. about it. Um, I literally think about it. I mean, probably at least once a month, like something, something mm-hmm. will trigger it. And I'll right. think about, I could have done this, I could have done that or whatever, but I love the single, the, the, the no limit version, but I really do enjoy the triple draw version as well. I've even introduced it to my home game. And right. Um, I do what, some, what is it that you like about the game? And it's obviously different than, you know, your standard run of the mill, no limit hold'em. So no limit for, for, for no limit hold'em, there's so many iterations with regards to like, Okay, then there's the flop, and then there's pre-flop, and then there's turn, and there's a lot of different decisions and a lot of different paths. And obviously, that makes the game very fun. Sure. But in Deuce to Seven, it's almost the purest game of poker, right? Mm. You play pre-flop, you get a draw, or pre-draw, you get a draw, now you bet. You either have it or you don't. Right. Does he have it or not? And I just bet this much. Do, Do I have it or do I not? I mean, you can see people betting two and a half times pot. Yeah. What's going on? It happens. <laughs> yeah. And it's just become a very fun game. I really enjoy it. Um, it's a game that not many people play. I wrote columns on it on ESPN, Card Player. I did a video. There's a group in Connecticut that that started playing this game because of the, the column I wrote. I get e- I've gotten multiple emails of being like, wow, this is so cool. And and I just enjoy the game. And, uh, right. you know, like I said, um, I, I still think about it. I still play it a lot. I've, I've, I hope to continue to play that um, at, at the series. And we'll see where it goes. Sure. Well, I mean, if, if you don't necessarily take your first bracelet in that specific variant, yeah. one thing which you'll have the chance to do for the first time, I couldn't believe it uh, when I saw because you don't look a day over 40. You're 50, Bernard. You're, you're eligible yeah. to play in the seniors event. For the I first am. time, are you going to give yeah. that a shot uh, when the World Series oh, comes again? Hundred percent. Yeah. Hundred percent. Yep. Absolutely. I mean, a bracelet's a bracelet. I mean, like, right. I, the, 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 doesn't matter if it gives me another chance. It's another chance. Uh, they talk about the World Series circuit when they have the champions, which I've played in two or three times. Um, oh well, is that really a break? Do they give you a bracelet? It's a bracelet. Oh yeah. I, mean, I, don't, I don't. I don't. I don't really care what you're talking. The online is it a bracelet? Yeah, it's a bracelet. They gave you a bracelet. They shipped you a bracelet. You. They put you down as a bracelet. Hundred percent. Right. Um, this summer there was a seniors event. I played yep. in it. You mm-hmm. know, and and I think a lot of people were texting and emailing and all this stuff, going like, "What is you? What are you playing in this event for?" And I said, <laughs> "Well, I thought it was fifty and older." And they're like, right. "We're reiterating. What are you playing in this event?" <laughs> 
okay, I know it sounds crazy, but I'm 50 years old. Trust yep. me, I played tennis the other day and my body reminds me that I'm 50 <laughs> years old. You know, it's not, I don't bounce back like I used to anymore. But Do you, uh, do you think in yeah, seniors I mean, events, the younger you are, like the closer to 50, you've got a little bit more of an advantage or, you know, you've been playing for an extra 10, 20, 30 years, you're 80. Does that give you more of an advantage? Uh, I think that no matter what age you are, if you're up to couple things. One of all of the iteration strategy wise, whether it's GTO or whether whatever it might be, mm-hmm. but then also being able to adjust to people who don't play that way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the big key because you're going to have people who are 70, 80 years old who are still of the ilk of, I raise five X pre-flop. Right. 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 I, then I, the next continuation bet is 10 X. I mean, right. You know, so so that's one. But then the other thing that I think is very interesting is that so, you know, again, I've been playing literally professionally for 13 years. I quit my job in 2007 and literally this was my profession. But I've been playing, you know, in in casinos in this kind of a tournament setting pretty much since 2004. Uh Um, So for 16 years and back in the early years, you could look at someone and I would say, 75%, 80% 75%, 80% of the time, you're pretty much spot on. Uh-huh. You know, you're, uh, he right. doesn't look like he's very experienced, older guy, might be playing a little too conservative and sure. or very old school. Yeah, younger kid, <laughs> you know, probably internet, et cetera, et cetera. Right. You do that now. I mean, yeah. there's every once in a while, you look at somebody and you're like, oh, he probably doesn't know all the old tricks or new tricks uh-huh. and he'll three bet light <laughs> the button. And you know, you're like Jack here. It's not like it's that bad, but I'm out of position and da 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 whatever. And then you like, let's say you make the call and the flop comes up or whatever. And then the guy flips over nine, four off student. You're like, yep. really? <laughs> and I think in just in today's day and age, these guys can just look up online and pay, 1999 or whatever it is and now they just saw a video of somebody doing that and you're like oh yeah all right maybe (laughs) i should try that you tell us so i'm laughing because i know exactly what you're talking about (laughs) your experience (laughs) i I still remember it one guy uh did it to me and i was like what are you serious (laughs) it's not like do you know who i am that's not what i mean by that at all it's just more of like what where did you learn you are capable of doing that like (laughs) wow right you know so yes i mean i think that that's you know do i think i'll have an advantage going in i I think listen i think you got to answer it the way phil ivy said it okay so great so let's just say i am five times better or whatever number of times better than the average player right right so if you are if you're playing against a thousand people by technicality you have a 0.1 percent chance of winning Mm -hmm. that tournament sure so if i'm five times if i'm 10 times better than them now you went from 0.1 to 0.5 or one percent chance of winning the tournament. i mean come on it's not like you're gonna cakewalk to the final table and be like all right let's now start playing i mean right you still got to avoid all the landmines and all this kind of stuff. And so do I think I'll have a slight of it? Yes, I do. 
But do I do do I have the premise of that in the next three years? Well, you'll see a World Series senior bracelet. Come on, I'm not stupid. I mean, I'll put five I bucks on it, Bernard. I, I believe in you. Hey, <laughs> I, I, I got you. I got you. I, I'll tell you right now. Yeah, I'll, dinner on me if I win. I mean, Amen. That's I mean, Amen. That's easy. Yeah, but um, yeah, I think it's I think it's <laughs> foolish to think that you're gonna. You know, no matter what it is winning a tournament is harder. No yes. matter what. Somebody once said to me, like, would you rather play a single table satellite and have to win it for for a seat in the main event? Or would you rather play a hundred person satellite and have to get down to the final 10? And I go, what kind of question is that? Like, (laughs) I don't care what it is. Winning is hard. Yeah. Like winning just because of the nature of it all. Whereas getting to the final 10, you mean I need only one chip and I'm 10th place? Yep. Give me that one. Absolutely. That's just, just, you know. Well, we're about to get into our, uh, section of the show where we take questions from the Cards Chat community. But before we do that, uh, I've saved my, I think, most important question for you for last, Bernard. We talked about your media career. We talked about everything you've done at the felt. Um, But away from the felt and away from the media, you've also been known to be one of the most charitable-minded people in the poker industry. Oh, thank you. That's, that's the truth. I'm just speaking, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm reading from the sheet here, but I wrote it. You know what I mean? Like, I know exactly what you've done. You're always participating in and promoting charity poker tournaments for good causes. Uh, you've worked closely with J- uh, Jacob Zalewski uh, with his One yep. Step Closer Foundation. And I know now you are marking the 10th anniversary of your own personal initiative. It's the Holiday Charity Drive. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, long story short is, is I, I just feel very fortunate to be a, have been doing this uh, for a living. And so I thought I'd have to kind of give it back and pay it forward. And, you know, without going into all the details, we basically provide holiday gifts for, um, uh, uh, homeless families in new England. And, you know, I kind of combined my love for children and my love for poker and try to put them together. And, and uh, these, these homeless families, specifically the children, aren't going to be able to have holidays. Uh, you know, money is very tight. And so we ask them for a specific list of items. We, don't, we can't provide all of them, right? Sure. I mean, I, somebody, somebody asked for a puppy. It's not going to really, I can't provide them a puppy um, just because of logistics more than sure. anything. You know, somebody asks for like, we're not in the, in the spirit of, of doing it for frivolous items. You know what I mean? Like I, I I'm, I'm, we're very, um, af, you know, health. So sports, academics, or so books, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not, we don't, it's not like we don't give them toys. We give right. them toys and things of that nature, but I, I don't want to be giving somebody like um, computer games, like so sure. they can sit in front of a TV and do that. That's not that's not kind of what it is. So we give them art supplies. We give them all a teddy bear. I know it sounds kind of corny, but that's really what we do. And so we try to get we try to provide those for for the parents uh, for the for the kids. And every, actually, every mother we give them a um, a winter coat as well mm-hmm. um, because so many of these mothers are are selfless and they're like, oh, everything to my kids, and we want to do something nice for them. So we've been doing it for ten years, and my kids get very very involved in it and uh we enjoy it and so i'm really proud of doing that and like you said the one step closer foundation is a, a, an organization where jacob zaluski who is unfortunately afflicted with cerebral palsy started this charity 
um, uh, about a decade ago as well, and helps out families, especially children with cerebral palsy and other afflictions. Um, they just did a charity drive on through Run Good, um, and uh, it was a trivia night uh, that they do, and um, they they just did it where it was trivia for toys, and all the donations went in to help the One Step Closer Foundation. Right. Um, with uh, their toy drive for the kids at, at the hospital. So I kind of linked those two groups mm-hmm. up because I thought it was great. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, I enjoy it. I, I think it's, you know, especially in this day and age with regards to where we are with COVID, I think it's even more, um, unfortunately, we're not going to be able to see the families. We usually literally see them and give them their gifts. That's not going to happen this year, but, but, uh, the organization that we work with is called family aid in Boston. Um, and, they were surprised that we were going to do it this year. And mm-hmm. I told them, why wouldn't we do this? I mean, right. If anything, this is the most important year. So they were very pleased and we're very pleased and we're excited to do it. And we're delivering the gifts this week. Beautiful. I mean, it's uh, in a game of poker where so much is about taking from others. It's so important and so beautiful to see, you know, someone like you who's always giving to others. And, you know, it's not, you know, not that this is unimportant, The cutting a check is an important thing, but that's not all you do. You literally go around and you get, I, I, I know, I, I've spoken to you about this before, you and your yeah. children are involved. You go, you get the stuff, you pack the bags, you give it in person. It's just a beautiful thing and, and more power to you and a great example to set uh, for, for all of us in the community. Um, there are a lot of hours put into it and I'm not joking, a lot of backbreaking work in the sense of putting them into specific bags. And I mean, I, I know I've been up at four or five in the morning yeah. and just cursing the world being like, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? And then when you see the kids smiles, it's kind of really all worth it. I mean, it it happened this year as I was putting this stuff together, you you lose time, right? I was Mm -hmm. doing it till like 1130 with my daughter and she's like, yeah, I got to go to sleep. I got school tomorrow. No problem. And I start putting all these packages and then I'm in the garage doing it. And so you don't really see the light coming in. Mm. And I went into the kitchen and next thing you know, (laughs) you hear the birds chirping and you're like, what time is it? And right. it was seven, six 45. And I'm like, Oh my God, I got to drive my daughter to school in an hour. <laughs> and you know, that's kind of, which is what happens, sure. but you know, it's all worth it. Yeah, definitely. A, a beautiful thing. Um, speaking of community, For like sure. I said, uh, it's the uh, segment of the show where we turn to you guys who are listening, who are watching in the cards chat community. We want to see what questions you have to ask our guests. And our first question for you, Bernard, is from Acid Burn FX. Uh, thanks so much for sending this one in. Here's a, an interesting one, kind of an eclectic one. What superpower would you most like to have? What superpower would I most like to have? I guess looking into the future, hmm. right? So then you can guess what card, you know what cards come in bet accordingly. <laughs> That's probably my my one, looking into the future, kind of do a Marty McFly and then you got you get the, uh, the, the book ahead of time. You know what's coming. I love it. Okay. And uh, also asks a second question again from Acid Burn FX. When was your life most out of control? When was my life most out of control? We picked the great questions. This was a really good question. I like it. Uh, I have to say, I've never been asked that question. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, I'm not sure. I'm, I'm a pretty, like, I don't want to say calculating guy, but I'm, I'm, I always really kind of look forward. I'm an I'm a 18 to 24-month thinker. Um, so I really kind of, you know, there's obviously times where things change. Um uh, I mean, I guess, I guess 
if you want to say the most out of control is probably when I was changing basically careers, right? Mm. And I was thinking I was going to be a doctor. And then suddenly I went into business and did not know anything about business, didn't know what I was getting into. And that was definitely an interesting six month period of time. And I remember coming home. I still remember coming home that one time and I looked at my wife and I go, I'm not going back to medicine. This mm. is it. Like, right. this is really what I'm going to do. And so, yeah, that was a pretty crazy time. Interesting. Uh, our next uh, couple of questions here come from Matt Burns, 88. Thanks so much, Matt. Uh, Bernard, who is the best or most enjoyable person you have interviewed on your poker show? Beside you. Ah, <laughs> checks in the mail. Bernard. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. Thank you. I appreciate um, it. Most, oh, we're going to get a little appearance here from, from the uh, Poochie. Who oh. just jumped on my lap. Yeah. You're going to see a little appearance from the dog. Hey, say hi. Say hi. That's our dog. So That's Jackson, dog. right? He just, yeah, exactly. So he just I... jumped up on my lap. Um, most enjoyable interview? Sure. You said? Yep. Most enjoyable interview. I mean, the yeah. only reason why I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it is that there's just so many. Mm-hmm. I really have a lot of fun. I mean, there's obviously the obvious answers with regards to like the Daniel Magranos, you know, like the, the, just, just a lot of fun sure. interviewing them. Um, I just interviewed Joe Hashim because it was, he's a good friend. You know what I mean? Like um, I would say, so I would say the people that I've had on sort of the most are always enjoyable because obviously you're not going to have somebody on like six or seven times if you don't enjoy interviewing them. Right. So I'll say the two people I've probably had on the most, uh, one of them will be, oh, of course, that's Chris Moneymaker. Yeah, I've had him yeah. on so many times. And then the other person is Blair Hinkle. Oh, nice. I, we, we have gotten to know each other very well. He's uh-huh. actually become a run good ambassador. So right. we see each other more even there. Um, the guy is a god at WSOP Council Bluffs. Like he just can't lose there, <laughs> and that is a place where you always go to the places where you have success. And I always go, no matter what. Right. And so I always used to see him there, and we've talked a lot about strategy, and uh-huh. so I just have a lot of fun talking with him. Nice. So, that's, that's kind of a couple of people, and I would say, and again, I'm not just saying this because I'm run good or whatever. I think also another person who we've had on the show a lot too is Tana. Sure. I, mean, I just enjoy talking with him, you know, and, yeah. and, and he's just a really down to earth guy. And, you know, it kind of shows in his business ventures and also his um, uh, kind of getting the team together. Yeah, well, it's definitely a good dude. Uh, and again, uh, Matt Burns, 88, you are a good dude. You have another question for Bernard here. Um, and you mentioned Bernard, actually, I'll preface the question here by, you know, all the books that you've read, you know, back in the day yeah. and how much you prepared for that, you know, that shot in the 2005 main event. So Matt's question is, how much do you study now in comparison to when you went deep in the 2005 main event? Um, I think it's a very relative term, right? So like what I did back then was, so there's so much more information now than there was back then. Sure, sure. So if you compare hours to hours, I don't think they're that far off in all honesty. Wow. But back then there wasn't as much information. So you couldn't study 12 hours a day, right? <laughs> I mean, you just can't. Like, I mean, how many books can you read for whatever it is? So, and also I worked too. So it wasn't like I had all day long. So I probably spent an hour, hour and a half, whatever, going over stuff or whatever. And I, and I probably do something somewhat similar to that. Um, 
but I do them in different ways, right? So like right now, not only will I study or look at hands online or whatever it is, but I also talk with people. And, and the irony is, is that I tell a lot of people, you know, I get this comment from a lot of people I interview. Oh, that's a really good question. Oh, I've never had that question before. And then the reverse is I get people who listen to my show who say, that question you asked is exactly what I would have wanted to ask. <laughs> and the reason why I think those questions stick is I really have in my mindset when I'm doing the interview is I try to flip my mindset back to a fan. Uh-huh. Right? Uh-huh. If I'm a fan, what would I like to ask this person? Right. And a lot of them are strategy questions. Like, what would you do in this situation? So I literally ask them. And by the way, when I ask them, I'm actually learning too. Taking and notes, so, I'm sure. Also, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I really am. I actually literally write down like, oh, go listen to this podcast again or something. So, uh-huh. so back then I used to do a lot of work and I actually almost like exhausted everything that could have been done back then. I mean, literally, I'm not joking. I literally read almost every single book mm-hmm. and again and again. I don't do that. Like, I have not read every single book that's available right now. Yeah, I haven't. <laughs> I mean, it's almost impossible. Sure. But um, and I think that I to the extent of what I did before, I don't do now. Like, I don't read everything and learn everything. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I feel like I don't do as much studying as I did before. But if you go by time wise, I do. You know, but it's just that there's so much more information out there. That kind right. of thing. Well, good answer. So I don't know if that was a weird way of answering the question, but that's it's the of. it's the truth. That's the, you can't do better than the truth. It's, Our, it's not like I don't study. I think I definitely keep up with the time. Right. But you know, I know some of these guys who are spending three, four, five hours on small blind versus big blind GTO yeah. like situate. I mean, I'm not doing that. Deep I'm not doing lane. it to that extent. I may look at some of the things. You know, I've done some. Um, uh, work recently with Learn WPT, uh-huh. um, and so I'm doing that. You guys can get some bonus stuff with Learn WPT slash BL Radio, and there's a lot of hands on there that do. So that that's kind of helped out a little bit too. Nice. Our our final community question comes from Shell. Shell has been really great at uh, putting forth the questions for our guests. So thanks again for uh, doing so, Shells. Bernard, our final question for you: What do you like to do in your free time, if you have any? <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Um, so I like sports. I really have always enjoyed sports. Um, so I am a pretty big golfer. Um, I really enjoy golf. Um, played a lot this summer and uh, single-digit handicap. So I'm, I, I play a lot. Um, broke par for the second time and shot three under this year. So I was pretty happy with that and, nice. and, and uh, uh, enjoy that. Um, play tennis a good amount, play basketball. Of course, that's kind of been on hold this year. Um, uh, so, so I enjoy sports, um, love hanging out with my kids, obviously really enjoy that. Um, love hanging out with the, the guy who's chomping on my hand right now and goofing around. <laughs> of course he, I don't know. He, he's, he, he gets in these little fits every, every day for about 10, 15 minutes. And right now, not the best time during an interview, but that's what it is. My dog is going crazy right now, but yeah, I mean, I enjoy, I, you know, I, I th- that's what I kind of do in my spare time. I enjoy it. And uh, really kind of peace of mind for me uh, in that sense of athletics is something that I enjoy. 
Good stuff. Well, thanks to everyone who sent in questions for Bernard Lee. And of course, a, a friendly reminder out there to all of you out there in the Cards Chat community. We'd love to see you submit your questions for our future podcast guests. There's a dedicated thread for it in the forums. And of course, please be sure to give us a good review on iTunes and help spread the word via your social media channels if you'd like the show. Uh, Bernard, before we let you go, how can our listeners reach you uh, if they have some more questions or if there's anything else you'd like to plug or Sure. Yeah. So you uh, always go to my website, bernardleepoker.com, which we're actually literally in the midst of improving right now and and giving another version to all my social media um, channels, um, uh, primarily Twitter and Instagram, bernardleepoker, at bernardleepoker. And then, um, uh, you know, obviously the radio show, uh, you could you can get in touch with as well. So uh, you know, definitely always interested in in uh, touching base with people. And and I'm, it's amazing in today's world how often you get communicated through with social media. I'm literally, somebody just uh, before I came on air mm-hmm. sent me something and, and was talking about something. So you know, it, it's great that people can have interactions uh, so so readily in today's world. Yeah. Well, Bernard, thank you. I really appreciate you taking and making the time to speak with me today. Uh, Thanks to everyone for tuning in once again to another episode of the Cards Chat Podcast. I'm Robbie Straczynski. You can follow me on Twitter at CardPlayerLife, and I wish you all a wonderful day. Cards Chat, the friendliest poker podcast in town from the world's number one poker community.